Pelvic Posse, and welcome to the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. It's Amanda Fisher. I've helped thousands of people with pelvic floor issues, and it's totally my jam. Here, you can listen to expert interviews encompassing all things related to pelvic health. That's pee, poop, sex, and everything in between. You have a pelvic floor. Yes, you. We all do. And it's time to start talking about these issues that arise, but more importantly, how to improve them. I am so glad you are here to join us. Now let's head into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. I'm Dr. Mita Fisher here from Empower Your Pelvis out in Kansas City. Today, I have the lovely guest, Eva Klein from My Sleeping Baby on Instagram to join us today. I had the opportunity of getting to chat with her this week. She's full of so much wealth and knowledge, y'all. You are not going to want to miss out on this episode. Make sure you share it with your friends too. So Eva, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Amanda. So yeah, my name is Eva Klein. I am a certified infant and child sleep consultant and the owner and founder of My Sleeping Baby and the Sleep Bible program. So I help exhausted parents, usually the moms, get their little ones consistently sleeping through the night like champs so that they can finally feel like functioning humans again, even if they feel like they've tried everything. So normally when people tell me, reach out for help, they tell me, Eva, I've already tried everything and nothing has worked. My kid just must be an alien incapable of figuring this out. And I can confidently say after having worked with thousands of families to date that I have not come across said alien that has not been able to figure out and learn how to sleep like a champ. So I got into this business completely by accident. I'm a mom of three and I got into this because of baby number two. (laughs) So baby number two, unlike my oldest, was a very, very high needs baby. Um, So my, my oldest was that baby that makes you look like the best mom in the entire world. Have you ever had one of those? They trick you into having more. They do. They do. Yeah. Was your first also that he dream slept baby? great? He was a colicky baby in the beginning. Okay. Like, you like forget about that, right? Yeah. And then once yeah, yeah, yeah. sleeping, you're like, life's wonderful. So we had with my oldest, there was no colic. There was no uncontrollable crying. There was just beautiful, amazing snuggles and smiles and sleep and just butterflies and rainbows and unicorns all around. And so, yes, naturally, the thought of having a second one two years later was sort of like, duh. I mean, I'm the best mom in the entire world. I got this down pat. And then baby number two was not only not the unicorn baby category, but she was a very, very, very high needs baby where she was very colicky, needed to be held all the time, would go from zero to 10 at the drop of a hat and naturally did not sleep. And I have very distinct memories of waking up with her literally 90 minutes, every 90 minutes all night long. I was so unbelievably exhausted that I thought I was going to die. And and I just want to emphasize that I am Canadian. And so I was on maternity leave at the time. And I I hate saying this out loud (laughs) that I had my was on my 12 months of maternity leave. And I know that the vast majority of your listeners are probably American, but it is relevant to, you know, where the story is going here because 
because she inspired me to open up the sleep books and figure out what the hell to do because I was going to die otherwise. And I managed to make the situation a little bit more manageable. Like, so instead of sleeping 90 minute stretches, I was able to sleep three to four hour stretches, which wasn't nearly what she was capable of doing. But it gave me the clarity to say, hey, why don't I use up the rest of my mat leave? to get my certification and become a sleep consultant and launch a side business before I go back to work because my day job at the time was law. I am a lawyer <laughs> by training and uh, I wasn't planning on leaving law or anything because like, who the hell does that? That's, <laughs> that's insane. But what ended up happening was apparently I'm the queen of doing insane things because I went back to my job. My boss let me come back part time. But this side business of mine that I launched grew very, very quickly because take a wild guess what happens when you help a really tired mom get her baby sleeping. She tells everybody. She goes and tells every single one of her friends. Absolutely. Guess what I just did. Guess, guess like how many a million bucks. I slept last night. Yeah. Exactly. And so the reality is that I never actually hated practicing law. I'm not one of these, you know, ex-lawyers that like hates the field completely. I still technically have my license and I pay my dues because I can't psychologically give it up. But I've never really had to look back because the business really grew from there. And that colicky baby of mine is now nine and a half. So I then had my my third baby a few years later, and I've been very blessed to have been doing this full time ever since. So that is the deal in a nutshell. That's amazing. So you said you've helped thousands of moms. How many moms do you work with at a time? So in terms of one-on-one, I keep that to a a minimum so that I can really give those moms the, you know, the one-on-one attention that they need. But I do have, you know, hundreds of families that work with me in my various different sleep courses. So I have a newborn sleep program. It's called Getting a Head Start All About Newborn Sleep. And then I have a course that's... When when somebody want to start that one? Is it like within first couple of weeks or like what's the age range? Yeah. So I have moms that will purchase that course when they're pregnant, which I think is actually ideal because hopefully you're not chronically sleep deprived just yet. If you're still pregnant and the baby hasn't come, maybe you're waking up once or twice a night to go pee, but it's not exactly the same as when the baby actually arrives. But it is really something that you can begin applying as early as you want. These are the idea behind maximizing sleep in the newborn stage is that you're not getting your little one onto any sort of, you know, strict, rigid schedule because the goal is to make your life easier and more manageable, not more stressful. And so it's really all about encouraging better daytime sleep, better routines, you know, better naps, better feeds so that your little one can eat better, be sleeping better, be able to get you longer stretches of sleep at nights when you've got those really wickedly awesome healthy sleep habits implemented from the beginning. But I would say that the the majority of people will will purchase that course when either they're pregnant or within the first, let's say, month or two that their little one is born. Because it's it's never too late to introduce healthy sleep habits, but it's also never too early either. That's the truth. I love that. And then, yeah, and then past- the moms of little ones in the four month to five year range, that's where I have my sleep Bible course. So tell us a little bit about that one. 
Yes. So that program is geared towards babies, toddlers, and preschoolers who can be sleeping significantly longer stretches at night, if not sleeping straight through the night. That's also an age range where they can be begin to learn how to sleep independently and where some form of sleep training is an age-appropriate step that families can take if it's what they want. Sleep training referring to teaching your little one how to sleep independently. So I've got four different tracks for four different age ranges that are geared towards so that this way the advice that you're getting is geared towards the age and stage of your little one. You get access to everything, but within that program, you can get that customized support that you need. Plus, there is daily follow-up support that's offered from me in our Facebook community group, as well as group coaching calls. So you're never wondering what you need to do next. So, you know, ultimately, the goal here is to be able to help exhausted parents get the sleep that they need and the sleep that they want and be able to maximize sleep regardless of what age and stage their little one is at so that they can enjoy this stage to its fullest. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, when you are chronically sleep deprived, it's not possible to be able to enjoy being a mom nearly as much as you can when you are well rested, you know, and it's, it's a really, it's a really horrible and conflicting feeling where you love your baby more than life itself. But at the same time, you're going, gosh, like, why can't you just sleep already? And then you feel guilty for feeling like that. And then it's just, you know, this awful, vicious cycle. And then I, I know that when we finally can get these desperately exhausted parents proper stretches of sleep at night or if we're dealing with an older baby sleeping straight through the night, it's literally a game changer. It's as if you're getting a second chance at life in terms of how amazing it feels. Truly life-changing. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have it where parents will contact you and say they're they have ha- just had a baby, but their older toddler, maybe one, two, three, I guess up into that five range, starts not sleeping well. Oh, yeah. The newborn comes home. Oh, yeah. All the time, including okay. myself. Okay. <laughs> that I experienced that myself. With that oldest un- unicorn child of mine, the, even, even the unicorn baby of mine still regressed hugely in the sleep department when her younger sister was born. And it's so common because it's incredibly overwhelming for them. They're usually so excited that they have this new baby brother, new baby sister, and they get to be this big sibling. But at the same time, they're feeling jealous. They're feeling overwhelmed. They're feeling they don't even know how they're supposed to feel. They literally might have no idea, you know, what is going on. And that in and of itself can feel incredibly overwhelming. And a lot of the time, these big feelings can lead to a regression when it comes to their sleep. And so the biggest piece of advice that I give families is, you know, look, give your little one, let's say one to two weeks to sort of work through this. You want to do your very best to not sort of introduce all sorts of new sleep habits that you don't want in the long run. But Chances are in that stage, your toddler or preschooler is going to need a little bit of extra one-on-one support, a little bit of extra TLC as they sort of go through this transition. But the reality is that 
your little one is going to very quickly forget what life was like before their baby sibling was born a lot more quickly than you think. And so when I say give it a couple weeks, I really just mean that. And then if you're still finding that they are not sleeping nearly as well as they were beforehand, then that's when I would say, okay, let's now tackle those behaviors head on because habits can form very quickly in a matter of days, even if the habits were triggered by something legitimate like a new sibling or like getting sick or a move, you know, a new daycare, a new nanny, you know, some sort of change has happened. It doesn't mean that you need to make those habits solid. It doesn't mean that those need to stick around in the grand scheme of things if you don't want them to. So that was exactly what what we did. I mean, when my second baby was born again, I didn't know anything about sleep at the time. And I actually got some really great guidance from my two-year-old's nursery teacher. And she was the one I was complaining to her at school drop-off one morning. <laughs> and she was, this was about a month in. And she said to me, she goes, oh, Mrs. Klein, like, you definitely need to get Amuna sleeping. She's still waking up at night. Oh, no, no, no. Don't you worry. She's forgotten all about, she's gotten over the overwhelm, and now you need to get her sleeping. And and I said, so what do I do? And she said, well, just talk to her and explain to her what's going to happen so that, you know, nothing is a surprise to her and remain consistent with it. And she gave me, you know, a couple tidbits, which I, I did apply. And again, thankfully, since she was in the unicorn child category, it was a lot easier said than done to get it all sorted out. But I really, I really wouldn't recommend waiting as long as I did, which was a whole month, because that's a month where you have two babies waking you up at night instead of one. And that's not fun. I do not recommend that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. What would you say is the number one common misconception that moms have on babies and sleep regression or deprivation? Yeah, I think there's a few. So I think misconception number one is that, and I don't want to know, I, I'm not sure how we could go really deep on this one, but I'll just sort of give a, a service level answer, which is that you need to choose between getting sleep for yourself and honoring your child's emotional needs and that you can't have both. That is a huge myth that I will just say I have spent copious amounts of hours addressing with really big experts on my podcast because I'm obviously not, I'm not the psychologist, but I've read enough of the, I've read all the research and I've spoken to all the experts. And so I try and have as many of them on my podcast as possible to talk about this because the reality is that it's a pretty dangerous connotation, if I do say so myself, because for a mom to be chronically sleep deprived over a long period of time, it's only a matter of time before her mental health is really going to suffer. Oh, yeah. And we know for a fact that a baby's well-being is directly connected to mom's well-being. Like maternal mental health is enormous. And to, you know, be telling moms that sleep training your little one is not an option, or if you care about your little one's own mental health, then sleep training is not a choice that you should be exploring. It adds this huge amount of guilt 
to moms that are considering that option because the alternative is for their mental health to deteriorate. And nobody wins in that situation, including the baby. The reality is that there isn't a shred of evidence to actually back up the legitimacy behind those statements. And I'm saying this as someone who truly believes in choice. Like there is more than one right way to approach your little one's sleep. And if bringing them into your bed is how you get sleep and how your little one gets sleep and it truly, truly works for you, then you do that. You do you, all the power to you. I will never, ever tell someone to stop doing something that works for them. As long as, of course, it's safe, right? But if that's where everyone can get sleep, then 100%, you do that. But there are many, many, many families where that's not a choice that's working for them. Maybe it did work for them at one point. Maybe it never worked. And now it's really, really not working because they've been chronically sleep deprived for so long. And getting your little ones sleeping independently in their own sleep space, i.e. sleep training, should be looked at as, as an equally legitimate choice. And All these choices can get you from point A to point B. Point B being a well-rested family and an emotionally happy, stable child. There's no one right way to otherwise raise that happy, healthy, emotionally stable child. So that is, I would say, a... A surface level answer that, of course, we could spend hours, you know, talking about all the intricacies around this, that I feel like I need to scream from the rooftops every single day to be able to give those moms permission to explore that option in the name of being able to be the best mom to their kid and taking care of themselves. Yeah. Which is important. I wish I knew you five years ago because I remember going into a school for, I don't know, we had parent-teacher conferences for our first two kiddos, but I just had our third, another colicky baby, two out of three colicky babies, (laughs) but not sleeping. I had an hour sleep for seven days straight, like an hour each day and went in for the parent-teacher conference and just broke down that they said my son was a righty instead of a lefty when I knew he was a left-hander. And just started crying. Like he's, I missed that. Like he's now using scissors with his other hand. And the teacher was like, I think, is it okay if one of us stops by later to help you get some sleep? And I was like, so thankful for that because I needed help with three little. Oh my gosh. And like I went through like a really deep, dark patch of postpartum, I would say postpartum blues. Yeah. And no, and that kid for me was not sleeping for 15 months straight. Oh my gosh. Sleep experts. I did not know them back then and I wish yeah. I would have. And now he's he's a rock star, but mm-hmm. I could have taken that so much sooner for my mental health, definitely. So I yeah. love that you have that on your podcast. For sure, for sure. And you know what? And that it sort of reminds me of another really, really big, you know, misconception or or I guess, you know, argument that I a point that I just don't agree with, which is that, oh, well, you know what? Eventually your child will sleep through the night when they're ready. So you just sort of have to wait it out and they're not gonna, they're not gonna be sleeping in your bed when they're 18 and you're gonna miss it when the time comes. You might not, you might not <laughs> miss it and, and that's okay. But really, if they're not sleeping through the night, it just means that they're not ready and that eventually they will be ready and they'll do it on their own. So the reality is that sometimes that is what happens, you know, in your case. But what I would say to that is, is as you just said, 
Why would someone need to suffer for years before that magical day finally arrives? Yeah. Um, If there is an alternative other than suffering with years of sleep deprivation, even if you knew for a fact, if I could tell someone, it's not possible, but if I had a magic eight ball and I was able to tell someone, okay, you're one-year-old who's waking you up every two hours, I can see that by the time she is two and a half, she's going to be sleeping 11, 12 hours straight. So, you know, on the one hand, that make you make you feel a little bit better. But on the other hand, that means that you're going to have to suffer for another year and a half before that magical day arrives. Um, and I don't know about you, but I would not want to suffer for, you know, an extra day from sleep deprivation if I didn't have to. No. But the other thing is I'm I'm thrilled to hear that your little one is now a sleep rock star, but that could have just as easily not been the case. That you could have just as easily been saying, and he still sleeps in my bed and he still wakes me up and karate kicks me in my sleep. And and I I still only slept, you know, three hour stretches last night. And it doesn't mean that we wouldn't be able to address that sleep problem head on right now and fix it. But most importantly, you could have been spending all these years waiting and counting down for those those magical days only for that day to just never arrive. And by no means am I trying to, you know, use fear here as a means of encouraging someone to make changes. I'm just being real that sometimes that is what happens and other times that's not what happens. And so what I would tell moms in those situations, if they're feeling a little bit torn, I would tell them, okay, how much longer are you willing to wait? Like, I'm telling you that there is a solution. And if you think that your little one has to just ride out whatever phase they're going through, like, that's fine. You need to be ready. But let's give a cutoff so that you can say, okay, if my little one, if I'm still bleary eyed by this month or this year, you know, then that's when I'm I'm done not sleeping and I'm going to be ready, you know, to sleep, if that makes any sense. Yes, absolutely. Those teachers sound so sweet. Yeah, like so caring, by the way. They were. And it took me having my third to actually accept help. Like your first kid, you're like, oh, I'm a super, I need to be a super mom. So I'm going to do it all myself. And then the second one, and then the third one, I was like, you're right. I think I even got pulled over for speeding with that kid once and being like, I don't even remember how fast I was driving. Like you're so sleep deprived. You probably shouldn't be on the road. Like that's how exhausted I was. I felt drunk and I wasn't. Um, Right. Just... Not and cool. I think that I think that I can do it all mindset for better or for worse, I think might stem from the fact that women nowadays are so accomplished. Like we rock like we're rock stars mm-hmm. in so many other areas of like our professional lives. Right. And so when it comes to and, and we're, we're so accomplished and yet here we are with this like little seven, eight pound baby and suddenly it's like, yeah, no, you you might be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, but you're going to need help here, <laughs> despite how accomplished you are in other areas of your life. And I think that it can be hard. It can require a little bit of humility to be able to say, OK, I still rock. I still rock. But taking care of this eight pound little human is actually a heck of a lot more complicated than running that Fortune 500 company yep. <laughs> um, to a, when it comes to so many aspects of that baby's life. And I think that that might be, I don't know for sure, but I, I, I question, I question whether or not like our generation of moms struggled the, the same way that we do with accepting help. I don't think they did. 
I don't think they have the same mindset hurdles to overcome the way that we... Yeah, that's a really good point. One question we get, not a question, I would say a statement more than others. Um, We see a lot of postpartum moms and they'll bring their kiddos in and we absolutely love when they bring their kiddos into the clinic. But they'll always... We'll always ask, like, you know, how are things going? Because we have a um, lactation consultant in our office group. And so they'll usually be seeing her for feeding techniques, not always breastfeeding, but it might be pumping, going back to work, because we do go back to work a little bit sooner than Canadians do. A little Um, bit. A lot of it. (laughs) It's ridiculous. (laughs) But one thing that we'll hear is like, well, my baby's not sleeping through the night, but it's a breastfed baby. So this is considered normal. What would you, what is your take on that when nope. you hear parents say that? Can you nope. go into depth on that? Because I, yeah, feel, okay, I would let's jump in on that one because I actually just wrote a really in depth blog post on this exact topic. I literally just pressed the publish button Amazing. maybe 24 hours, 24 to I'm gonna need, hours ago. I'm going to need that link so we can put it. So up. I'm going to send you that link, but I'm going to give you guys the, the Coles Notes version. <laughs> no. Is the, <laughs> there we go. Next, next question. No. So here's the reality. The reality is that I think that babies who are babies that have graduated the newborn stage. So they've graduated that fourth trimester. You know, they're in that three and a half to four month mark and onwards who are healthy, who are gaining weight and where, you know, milk, the, the breastfeeding relationship is established and milk supply is good and everything is working by mm-hmm. that point. Those babies can learn how to sleep like champs just as well as the bottle-fed babies can. I repeat, your breastfed baby, your otherwise healthy, you know, breastfed baby who is gaining weight can sleep just as well as the bottle-fed baby counterparts are. And I think that this misunderstanding, this myth, it stems from a few facts of of breastfeeding and bottle feeding babies that apply specifically to the newborn stage that are really not so applicable as the baby gets older. So one fact is that when, and and this is actually what um, one of the public health nurses told me when I was breastfeeding my second baby. My first one was formula fed from three weeks onwards. Latching issues, she was a NICU baby, so it was a little bit different. But, you know, the second time around where everything was much, much more straightforward, I did want to give breastfeeding a go. And so, and and it worked. Um, But I remember speaking to a a public health nurse who was just helping me because I remember saying to her, you know, gosh, with my oldest who was bottle feeding, she would eat like every three hours during the day. And then like that was it. And this baby is eating like 25,000 times a day. (laughs) And like this is kind of crazy. And so, you know, like what the hell (laughs) is basically what I was saying to her. And what she said to me flat out, and I so appreciated the honesty. She said, Eva, For the first six weeks of your baby's life, breastfeeding is objectively more challenging. It is. Like, no question about it. And one of the reasons why it's more challenging is because when a baby is fed via a bottle and is fed formula in particular, it does take longer for the baby to digest that formula. It's known to be a little bit thicker and more filling. And so it allows the baby during those first few weeks to often be giving you longer stretches of sleep than with a breastfed baby. Now, there are breastfed babies from the get-go who are able to give longer stretches of sleep as well. But generally speaking, I'm talking like 
just general patterns here, it is easier to get those longer stretches during those first few weeks because of that fact in particular. They have very small, like newborns have very, very, very small tummies. And so when that formula that's, you know, thicker and slower to, takes longer to digest, when formula is their main source of nutrition, you very often do get longer stretches of sleep. But the reality is that that fact really doesn't become so applicable by the time they graduate that newborn stage because their stomachs are growing. They can hold more food, whether it's breast milk or formula. And so the advantage in that specific department that formula has over breast milk is just not, it doesn't make nearly as much of a dent as it does when they're younger because your baby is able to just eat more, period. And so the advantage of formula over breast milk when it comes to that specific factor is just really not so relevant. And so it just means that the breastfed babies by that stage can really go longer stretches despite the fact that it's breast milk and not formula. Another fact that I think has led to this misunderstanding is the fact that when a baby is drinking a bottle, they usually can get more ounces per feed than a breastfed baby can when they're nursing. Now, of course, this is just generally speaking, you know, obviously every situation is going to be a little bit different, but drinking from a bottle is typically a lot less work than it is to drink from a breast. And so a breastfed baby is going to get tired a little bit more quickly than when they're drinking from a bottle because they can just get more milk effortlessly in each feed. And so so from there, the assumption then becomes, well, if my breastfed baby isn't eating as much per feed, then it means that she's going to need to eat more at night to compensate. When the reality is that when we're not talking about a newborn baby, that breastfed four, five, six, eight-month-old baby just needs to eat more frequently during the day. That's all. So it just means that the bottle-fed baby might be drinking bottles that are bigger, five, six ounces every three to four hours, whereas your breastfed baby, you'll never know how many ounces you're getting, but it's usually not five to six ounces per feed. Let's say for argument's sake, it's, you know, three or four. If those breastfed babies are usually nursing every two to two and a half hours. So they're still able to get the same number of calories during the day as the bottle-fed baby can. You just got to feed them more frequently. And so as long as you're doing that, that breastfed baby has the same capability of sleeping either through the night or mostly through the night, just like a bottle fed baby can. And I'm saying this so confidently, not because in theory that should be the case, but because I've seen it over and over and over again. When I've, I've had the privilege of working with thousands of families where literally half of these babies are breastfed and half of them are bottle fed. And I've never seen a difference in what the breastfed six-month-old versus the bottle-fed six-month-old is able to do. They're both typically able to go through the night with one feed. That's usually what they're able to do. Sometimes they can get down to no feeds, but that's not usually, that's usually a bonus. You know, we aim to get them down to one feed. And if I happen to get an email the next morning, hey, Eva, it's 6.30 a.m. and my baby still hasn't woken up. <laughs> what do I do? I'm engorged. <laughs> like, I'm in so much pain. Can I wake the baby up to feed her? Yes, you can. 
then, you know, that's that is the the reality. And, you know, there's there's a couple other factors that, again, are very specific to the newborn stage that babies outgrow by the time they get older. I mean, one other thing that I'll just emphasize is that when you have a baby in that newborn stage, their sleep patterns and sleep cycles and wakefulness patterns revolve heavily heavily around the need to eat, right? You know, anyone who's gone through that stage knows that the vast majority of the day and night is spent either for your newborn, is spent either sleeping or eating with a little bit of wakefulness, right? Even though the eating is technically considered the wakefulness, part of the wakefulness period when they're in that stage, but then it takes up the majority of the time that they're up for. And so your little one's sleep patterns, I would say in that stage are simpler. Whereas when they reach that four-month mark and onwards, their sleep needs become more multifaceted. It's more complex than simply filling up their tummy so they can give you longer stretches of sleep. Because I can tell you that I have worked with countless families of babies, younger babies, older babies, who are eating beautifully during the day, amazingly during the day, and they are still waking up countless times throughout the night. And stuffing their tummy with food doesn't make a difference. And that's because hunger is not the only reason for night wakings Mm. as your little one gets older. Whereas in that newborn stage, it's one of the main ones. You know, that and gas. And, you know, or if your little one has reflux, you know, discomfort or the startle reflux, right? Like there's a fairly short list of like the most common culprits. And hunger, I would say, is by far the gold medal winner in that one. But as they get older, it's much, much, much more complex than that, where hunger is a thing, but it's not the one and only thing that's going to make or break what your little one's sleep looks like. So in other words, If you are a breastfeeding mom and you want to continue to breastfeed and you also want your little one to sleep like a champ at night and you don't want to sacrifice the breastfeeding relationship in the name of getting your little one sleeping, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. If you want to introduce a bottle, cool. Give your baby a bottle. That's fine. Fed is best in my world. But the bottle in and of itself is not what is going to make or break your baby's sleep. So if you want to breastfeed your baby and get them sleeping, cool. If you want to bottle feed your baby and get them sleeping, you can do that too. But there's nothing, there's no magic sleepy potion in a bottle that breast milk doesn't also technically have, unless we're specifically talking about those first few weeks of your little one's life. But I go into this in a lot more detail than these than the Coles Notes version that I just gave you um, in this blog post. But I'm really glad that you asked that because it's clearly very fresh on my mind. I love it. No, this is perfect because that is I probably just me alone probably hear this one or two times a week. So mm-hmm. I know the rest of our staff, there's seven of us are hearing this question more often. And especially with all the moms coming in that are seeing our lactation consultants that are in the office as well. So yeah, just that, send them uh, the link to this, I, this blog post. Absolutely. Actually, <laughs> it'll have get all their questions answered. And right before we hopped on, I sent um, your page to our lactation consultant, Sarah, with Nurture Lactation. So she's going to be contacting you as well, I'm sure, after she listens to this episode. Amazing. 
I would love to have you back on for a part two because you are a wealth of information. And I know that our moms definitely need more of this. So y'all have to stay tuned for another episode. We'll get her back on here. But go ahead and tell our followers, Eva, where they can find you. And we'll get the links to all these lovely courses that she's got too. Um, because I don't know, the whole time you're talking, I'm just reminiscing on everything that I did wrong that I, man, I wish I would have known you sooner. So go ahead and tell our followers where they can find you. Yeah. So my website is mysleepingbaby.com. You can also find me on Instagram at mysleepingbaby. And I have a free masterclass that you can watch called How to Get Your Little One Consistently Sleeping 11 to 12 Hours at Night So You Can Feel Like a Functioning Human, where I go through the top three biggest mistakes that I see exhausted moms making when they try to get their little one's sleep, what they should be doing instead, as well as the overall framework that I've used to help thousands of families get their little ones sleeping. So if you're ready to at least explore an alternative solution for your little one, then I'd recommend checking out that class. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I'll stay tuned for another episode in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Pelvic Posse. I want to thank you so much for joining into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Can I ask you a couple of favors, please? Number one, can you like and subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue to empower your pelvis forever so that you will never miss out? Number two, can you leave us a rating and a review telling them how amazing we are and everything that you have learned about your pelvic health? And then number three, if you haven't seen the video version of this podcast, you can go over to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash empower your pelvis for all your visual learners out there. We have all types of great visuals in there for you to not only listen to, but to also watch. Thank you so much again, and make sure to give your pelvis some love until next time. Peace out pelvic posse.